Today we are finishing up uh, a series that we've been in for the last four weeks called For the City. In week one, we were able to talk with Mayor David Condon and hear about how we can better love our city. In week two, we heard from uh, Kevin Parker uh, how we can serve our city better. And last week, uh, Scott uh, talked to us about how we can share our story, God's story, with the people in our city. And the verse that we've been using to springboard this series off of comes out of Jeremiah 29, 7. It says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We are called by God to love our city, to purposefully seek its prosperity and to pray and desire for the peace in it. When everyone around us is doing better and prospering, we all benefit from that. So here's the key, is that God loves Spokane. God loves the people in Spokane and all the surrounding areas. God desperately wants a relationship with everyone in Spokane. God loves the people at your work. Yes, all of them, even your boss. God loves the people at your school, all the students there, even your math teacher, even your philosophy professor. God loves the people there. God loves the people from downtown Spokane. God loves the people in the suburbs. God loves the wealthy in Spokane. And God loves the poor in Spokane. God loves all the people here. So we cannot go throughout our daily life without acknowledging the fact that God loves Spokane. And he wants to use us to reach it, to love them, to serve the city, to tell the people in the city about the good news of Jesus Christ. And today as we wrap this series up, we're going to take it one step further, how we go beyond our city, to go to new depths, to go take it to new heights, new limits, to go out of our comfort zone. For God loves the city so much, and he wants to expand his kingdom in Spokane, the region, and far beyond that. Let me tell you about someone who was willing to reach new limits in their own life. His name is Chuck Yeager. He was uh, a pilot in 1947, the first pilot to break the sound barrier. Many people up to this point didn't even believe that it was possible in order to break the sound barrier, to fly past Mach 1. It was commonly thought that if a plane was to be traveling at that high of speeds, the sheer intensity of the speed would uh, literally tear the plane apart. And so many pilots attempted this. And many pilots, up until Chuck Yeager, they died in the attempt to try and break the sound barrier. Now it was reported like, reported like many other pilots experienced when Chuck was on the cusp of breaking the sound barrier. That, uh, during that time, the intensity, the shaking, the, 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 the pressure of the plane, the thrashing was at its highest right when you're at the barrier that you're trying to break. Some of Chuck's 
uh, controls were even breaking and going haywire. But you know the difference between Chuck and some of the other pilots was that when the intensity level was at its highest, right on the cusp of the sound barrier, many pilots would pull back. Yet Chuck, he resisted the temptation to back off, and he had the courage to gain speed. He had the courage to move forward through the barrier. And it's moments like these that change people's lives forever. And many of us have experienced huge cultural shifts, economic changes, and events that have changed our world over the last decade. With the increase of technology, we know what's going on around the world. We know what's happening in places like Syria and the many refugees coming out of there. We know what's happening around our country and cities like Ferguson. With social media, we can see young people using social media to take a stance on injustice all over the globe. With the advancement of this technology and social media, we no longer have any excuse to be uninformed and to not know what is taking place around the world. And for the last few weeks, I've been thinking about this verse out of Acts, where Jesus tells his disciples this in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives his church some pretty clear implications of what we are to do in this verse. We are to be his witnesses all over the world. We are to love our city, and we are to love our world. We are to love the people of all nationalities. We are to serve all people, and we are to tell all people about the good news of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to go beyond our own comfort zone. Let me show you this map just to further explain a little bit. Jerusalem, you'll see at the bottom, and it's a part of a greater region of Judea. And then you'll see a, another, a different region above it, which is Samaria. And this is what Jesus was saying, is it starts in Jerusalem, and then it needs to spread to all of Judea, and it even needs to go to Samaria. But what Jesus says is, you know, it starts in Jerusalem. And you know, this is where the disciples were probably most comfortable doing ministry and missions in. It's the place where people were just like them. It's where they were from. And we all have our own Jerusalem as well. Jerusalem is our home turf. Jerusalem is where we were most comfortable. Jerusalem is reaching the people around our dinner tables. It's our family. It's our friends. It's where people know us. They understand us. It's where people laugh at our jokes. It's reaching the people who think and act just like you. And Jerusalem can feel safe. It can be easy to want to stay in Jerusalem. But it also takes courage to lead and seek change in Jerusalem because in Jerusalem, we must face our own selfishness. We must face our own ethnocentric ideas. We must speak truth to ourselves and to others like us. 
It's where we risk having those conversations about Jesus with our family members. It's where we challenge the jokes around the lunch table. Yet we must move forward to break that sound barrier, to break that barrier. We must have courage to move forward out of Jerusalem and into Judea. Because Judea can be a little bit tricky. Judea is the place that is close to home. Yet it looks and feels familiar, but it has its own uh, differences and it has its own subcultures. Judea is the place where people may look like you, but they think differently. Judea is the place of different political views. Judea can be at your school or at your work or at a local business or grocery store. Judea, a lot of times, is the thing that divides people. It's the different ways of life, where you can look around and you, and you think to yourself, we all look the same, and we're all from the same place, yet I don't understand you. It's like we're speaking different languages. This divide can be like between young people and old people. Sometimes old people feel like they just need a translator to understand what this young person is saying. Judea is where my rooted group was yesterday. I have a group of about 10 young college-age students where yesterday we had our serve experience. And it was at the Serve Spokane food, food distribution where these 10, 10 young people went to serve people that were different than them. A lot of them come from different backgrounds and different walks where everyone has a story to tell, and many times this story has not been kind to these people over the years. And there's barriers between uh, the, the, the group of students that I brought in and a lot of the people there. Many of these barriers divide people, like age, or may, there was even education barriers, or able body barriers. Yet these young people pressed through that barrier to love people, even though they were people that they probably weren't used to. They pressed through that barrier seeking to understand the people and not just tell them what they know. Where these young people were to serve and to give food out and clothing out, even though they got nothing in return. That's Judea. But we cannot stop there. The next place Jesus calls us to go is Samaria. And Samaria in that time was the place that the Jews from Jerusalem and Judea, they didn't like. Many of them hated the Samaritans. Jews that needed to get to the other side, up to maybe Galilee or something. Instead of walking through Samaria, they would actually take the long way around instead of going through it. The Samaritans and the Jews really didn't get along. They didn't understand each other. They didn't really like each other. They did things differently. And this was the place that the disciples were probably least excited about doing ministry and mission in. This was the place that Jesus knew that they probably dread going. They wanted to avoid the Samaritans. They didn't want to go to them. They would walk around them, avoid those people. But Jesus called them, and he calls us to go to that place. Samaria is the place that is nearby, just like Judea. But instead, we avoid Samaria like it's the plague. 
It represents the people that maybe are hostile to us and our way of thinking. Maybe it represents people that you're just afraid of. Sometimes it's people that are just completely foreign to you and you don't understand them. Their worldview is different than yours. It's the neighborhoods in which we hide our valuables under a coat and we lock our doors. Samaria is the slums in Africa. Samaria is the many refugee camps all over the world. Samaria is prisons where people are locked away and forgotten about. Samaria is the place of sex trafficking. Samaria is the place of child soldiers. Environmental injustice. That's the kind of stuff that happens in Samaria. And that's the kind of stuff that many people want to avoid. I would rather just walk around it than go through it and face it. That's Samaria. And we will be Jesus' witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. Samaria is going out of our comfort zones. And many times we get trapped at this barrier where the intensity is at its highest. Many times we get trapped at this barrier because our comfortability doesn't feel good. Many times we get trapped at this barrier because we're afraid. We're scared. There's the unknowns. We can get trapped there, and it's hard to press through. It can be hard to press through this barrier. There has to be an intense level of bravery to move forward. But that is why Jesus says that we will receive power with the Holy Spirit. And then we will be his witnesses. It takes the power to reach some of these areas, it takes a power that we do not possess. That we only gain through the Holy Spirit. And there's that shaking inside of us when we look at the world. There's this dissonance and there's this disconnect. That when we look at our city, we look at our world. And there's things that we look at that we say, somebody should do something about this. That's Samaria. Those areas that you look at and it just twists your inside. And all you think is somebody should do something about this. And let me tell you that Jesus looks at you just like he looked at his disciples. And he said, that person is you. You are to reach that. You are to go into Samaria. You will be my witnesses. One man who is reaching into Samaria today, his name is Mark Cadell. He is the director of World Relief here in Spokane. And we're going to watch a quick video of someone who's been impacted by World Relief. And then Mark is going to join me on stage, and we're going to talk to him about his experience of doing ministry in this area. My name is Papi Idi. My story is having a lot of problems, a lot of pains, like the story of the Bible, in the Bible, the story of Job suffering. I was born between Congo and uh, Tanzania uh, in the Lake Tanganyika at night in a small canoe. My parents 
we are fleeing, fleeing the war to Tanzania. The name of a puppy was given because of the situation of that time. They said this one will be called a puppy because a puppy means suffering. It means when I was born, I was born in bad condition. At night, the time of my parents uh, were running the war to another country. I grew up as a refugee there in Tanzania, nearby the lake, the lake Tanganyika. Our zone, our territory is called the Zone Rouge, means a red, red zone. So there's a conflict everywhere. People are killed and uh, women are raped. Today, if you go to DRC in Congo, you cannot sleep in our zone where I'm coming from. Because you will see everyone with a gun and everyone will ask you money. If you don't have money, maybe can rape you. So there's no hope. People are living there, there's no hope. My brother, the, the firstborn, died. And my wife, my first one, this is not my first one. This is my, the first one died. The mother of the, the three kids, the Mwamba and the brother, died. They died on the war, and my brother died. You see, I was not having hope. I was not having hope. Yeah. And I'm having hope today, because it's today I'm in another situation. Before to be accepted as a refugee, you must give you a detail why you ran away. And I tell them my problems, why I ran away, and why I don't want to go back again because of suffering the whole life. <laughs> Just think on my age, my suffering started. You know, uh, childhood until today, I'm an old man. They say, okay, if it's like that, because we understand your point. So the rest of your life, maybe we can send you to United States, you and your family for the rest of your, your life. To come here, it takes almost two years, because to come here also is not easy. You must pass through many organizations. Through these organizations are supporting me and providing me a lot of things, a lot of things I mean, can social and even spiritual things, uh, even phys phys physical things they are providing. So we must appreciate on that and I appreciate a lot. This agency, World Relief, they are like a good Samaritan. Gives me hope because I'm abroad now, I cannot spoke. My I hope my children are going to school and they are looking at a job for me. And they looked at a job for my, 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 my firstborn and my wife. And I think many things will come, and many things are coming. Yeah, it's true, because Murdi Lili is giving me hope, and I think they will give more to others also. Because today, I'm here because the one who's giving more light to me is Murdi Lili. Today, I'm here with Murdi Lili and the church, only that. The job of Murdi Lili, really, I appreciate on that, because the way they're providing a lot of things, social things, material things, and the physical, even spiritual, I appreciate on that. So I don't have a lot of words to say, uh, but just and uh, to, to give back to, to world live. What an amazing story of this man who uh, was able to find hope through the agency like World Relief. So uh, Mark, thanks for being up here with us. Mark's going to share with us a little bit more about that. But first, Mark, uh, before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? Well, thank you, Nate. Uh, first of all, I would like to say that uh, Life Center North is our church home. We've been, my wife and I have been contending here for about two years, got connected with a life group through 
John and, and Glendy Loringer, and this is our home church. But uh, I was a, uh, grew up in Boise, Idaho, and I was a baker for 20 years with Albertson Supermarkets, actually trained bakery managers. And then in, uh, in 1980, actually, my wife and I went to a night of missions with YWAM, and God just really placed in our heart a burden to be a foreign missionary someday. So in 1992, through a miraculous set of events, we uh, had an opportunity to visit the country of Albania, which was just coming under out of a harsh uh, years since World War II of communism and atheism in the whole country. And, and we just fell in love with the people in the country. And we went to Albania and served as missionaries for nine years, planting churches, which are still going on today. Because we kind of went with the attitude of the only way the Albanian church is able to prosper is to train up leaders within the Albanian community that genuinely had an experience with the Lord and let them carry the church forward. So uh, we're still uh, very glad to see how God's moved in that country. We worked in Kosovo right after the war, repatriating Albanian Muslims. And then the last two years, we worked in Greece at the Athens Refugee Center as well. So returning back to Boise, I started working with World Relief and have been working for that organization for 13 years. Uh, served as a director for the offices in North Carolina. And for the last five years, I've been here in Spokane. Hmm. Talk about someone who has a story to tell, probably. I'm oh, sure. yes, a few. You have many stories. <laughs> Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about World Relief? What is it, and uh, what, what's its purpose? Well, thank you. Uh, World Relief is a Christian humanitarian organization. Our mission statement is to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And we work overseas internationally with disaster relief. We're one of those countries when there's a disaster somewhere in the world, natural disaster, we go in and we supply technical support and supplies. But what makes World Relief different is that we work for local churches. We come into local churches, give them the technical support, the supplies, and then they go out and serve the people in their community. Because we want the people that are suffered, uh, uh, suffered from different types of natural disasters to see local churches as agents of change for their own lives. We also, in third world countries, have a lot of mother and child health, agricultural developments, microenterprise loans. And here in the United States, we have 28 offices across the country, whereby we primarily do refugee resettlement. We're actually one of nine organizations that are contracted with our Department of State to provide resettlement services to refugees that are legally invited to be resettled here, just like a poppy that we saw on the video. And we're the only evangelical organization of the nine. We're not tied to any denomination, but very evangelical in our value and beliefs. And we accept refugees every single week at the Spokane Airport. In fact, we resettle between five and 600 refugees here in Spokane every year. They're arriving every week at the airport. And we take them from the airport, we get them settled in an apartment, get the kids enrolled in school, give job training to the parents, help them get, learn more English if they don't know any English uh, in, in our uh, community colleges. And then we help them get jobs and help them work towards self-sufficiency. But the thing that makes us unique is we do that through the local church. And in some offices across the country, including Spokane, we also have services for victims of human trafficking, which is kind of a personal passion of mine as well. Yeah. So help us understand, like, where is that link between you're obviously a missionary internationally, and then now you're here in the States and you work here. How, how is that link there between that international missions and the missions that you're doing here? Well, to be a missionary doesn't mean you have to leave your home and go overseas. You can be a missionary right here at home. And we've seen lives miraculously changed in Albania. I mean, we saw Book of Acts-type miracles 
in Albania where God was sovereignly working and preparing the hearts of people. And we were just answering their prayers but coming in and pointing them in the right direction to Jesus. And we see the same thing here. In fact, our office uh, here in Spokane, I have about 35 very committed Christians that work with me and probably 15 to 20 interns from the various colleges. And we see lives change daily here because of the opportunity to let Jesus shine through us. We believe that we give opportunities for churches to do what we believe the church does best, and that's show the unconditional love of Jesus, not only through outward acts, but through the things that we do, through our witness and working with individuals. So a true missionary calling, which you said in your scriptures that you brought out here this morning, is to be able to reach the world, and we're reaching the world right now. You know, Nate, people have been praying for closed countries of the world for decades, countries that are closed to the gospel, countries that perhaps don't accept missionaries, countries that perhaps the Bible isn't allowed to be preached openly. God's hearing and answering those prayers because he's bringing those people here. In fact, 90% of the refugees that we accept every week at the airport in Spokane are coming from some of the most closed countries of the world. About a third of them are Christians who've been severely persecuted for their Christian faith. The reason they've had to flee from their country for their lives is because they couldn't because they were attacked because of their Christian faith. About two-thirds are people that may not have even heard of the Christian faith or have never ever met a Christian until they arrive at the Spokane Airport. And we give these people hope, just like a poppy that you saw in the video. We give them hope that they can find a safe harbor here, harbor here in Spokane, that they can get their lives put back together, they can educate their children. And you know, they want the same things we do. They want to offer their children and their families better hope than living in a refugee camp. In fact, one other fact is, is that the average length of time a refugee is spent in a refugee camp before arriving at the Spokane Airport, the average amount of time is 17 years. So they're ready. They're ready. I mean, they hit the ground running. They want to live in peace. They want their kids educated. They want to get a job and support themselves. And we just kind of point them in the right direction through our connection with local churches. Wow. What a note. Great thing you guys do. I mean, can you just imagine that, living in a refugee camp for 17 years and then finally getting the opportunity to come here? You know, I was at uh, the World Relief office uh, on Friday, and Mark was showing me around, and uh, it took about an hour to really grasp uh, just what happens at the office. Um, so help us understand um, what opportunities might our congregation be able to participate in if we felt, you know, that we want to do something. How could we participate in what World Relief is doing? Thank you so much for asking, because the best thing you could do is answer our prayers. We pray, our, our staff meetings every week and are like a mini church service, and we have prayer, we have worship. And the thing that we pray for every week is that the church, the body of Christ in Spokane, can see the opportunities that are right before them. And the first thing we can do is you can volunteer. We actually have a couple good neighbor teams here in, in this congregation. Actually, we started with John and Glendy's uh, life group, and they sponsored an Iraqi family a couple years ago. The current family that uh, the group is sponsoring is a family from Somalia, a woman and her 10 children that arrived uh, the last day of July and are helping them through that transition. So you can volunteer. You can volunteer individually. You can volunteer with a life, uh, life through your life group to be a good neighbor team, walking a refugee from the time they ran at the airport through that difficult first six months of transition. The second thing is that we're always looking for furniture. 
to set up refugee homes, if you have extra furniture or extra spatulas or extra dish towels or whatever, sheets, the things like that that you'd like to donate, the refugees do sm receive a small stipend from the federal government to get started, but that money goes very, very quickly. So we're always looking for good used furniture and things to set up homes. So you can even be involved in setting up a home for a refugee family to get started here in, uh, in Spokane. But, you know, you might be sitting here, I was sitting here on the front row thinking of this, and you might be sitting here thinking, you know, this all sounds great, Mark. This is a wonderful, I'm glad you're doing that, but you know what? My life is full. My kids are in sports, and I don't even have an extra minute to spare to be able to volunteer and things like that. Well, we've actually got a great opportunity for you too to be involved, to actually to be involved intimately in a refugee's house. We actually have a sponsorship program. And uh, we actually have a booth out in the, in, the, in the foyer. We have these little cards. And what it is, it's $36 a month for six months. And that's very impactful in a refugee's life when they be able to, in that first six months, because it helps them so much. But you think 36 months, $36 isn't that much. Well, actually we have a current match right now that matches it two to one. So your $36 a month is matched to $108 every month at the refugee receives to help them with bus passes, help them with the in, 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 uh, little things in life that, that isn't covered by their stipend they get from the federal government. And it makes a huge difference in a refugee's life. And so we have these little cards out front if you want to get involved with that, if you want to help to support a refugee, or if you don't want to do this monthly business, just $220 will help change a refugee's life very uh, profoundly. But also to pray, also to pray for refugees, pray for them to be able to be resettled here for them, not only to find peace and safety and, and an opportunity to start their lives over again, but for them to see Jesus. For them to see Jesus through the volunteers from local churches and the people that get involved with their life. And we're seeing transformation in people's lives all the time. In fact, this Somali family that the Good Neighbor team is sponsoring right now, uh, John and Glendy open up their garage and they gather all this furniture to set them up in the home. And you can imagine a family of 11 from Somalia how much furniture they might need. And they had all this stuff together and uh, the family had just arrived and we took them over to the Loringer's home and we're showing them all this. And the, the mother was just absolutely in tears. She was crying, overwhelmed with emotion that this group of Christians from a Christian church here in Spokane, Washington had gathered all these things. And she told something to her son who spoke English, and he replied that she's so overcome with emotion that you didn't even know me. I was still a refugee in Kenya, and you were getting all these things for me. And it was replied to her, but Jesus knew you. God knew who you were, and he spoke to our hearts that we wanted to get all these things together that you're going to need to set up a home. And so what an opportunity for the church need. What an opportunity for the body of Christ to open their hearts to refugees from Syria, refugees from the Congo, refugees from Burma, from even Cuba or Colombia, South America, that are arriving all the time in Spokane to do what we believe the church does best and that show Jesus through our, our lives and through our actions. Hmm. Well, clearly, Mark, you have a lot of passion for this. <laughs> and uh, maybe it's just an ending thought before we pray for you. Um, as we've talked about our own Jerusalem and Judea, and there's that Samaria as well. And clearly you've jumped into that and you've been working and fighting for vulnerable people for a long time. Um, how what might we as a church, for people who maybe have never found themselves with a large desire, um, or maybe they find themselves on that barrier and they're really trying to 
break through that? How could we increase our passion um, as a people uh, to also minister into that Samaria area? Well, you know, I think as you said earlier in your message, that it's very clear in the scripture that we're called to share the good news of the gospel, the life change that we've experienced with everyone. And God isn't particular whether or not that's your neighbor across the street. Yes, we need to, uh, we need to share the gospel with them, but the people around the world. And World Belief's given an opportunity for the church here by bringing the world here to your doorstep because they're living in our neighborhoods. You know, they come here, they, they have to learn English, our church is already built, and they're living in the neighborhoods that you're living in. So here's an opportunity. But when you see a life changed, when you see the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and see the light come on in their soul and their eyes, and for them to be able to accept the Lord as their God and their Savior and see the change on their outward side, it, it encourages you. It grows your faith tenfold when you see your prayer and the prayers of others answered and change lives. So to be a missionary doesn't mean necessarily going overseas. You can have a mission opportunity right here in Spokane as well. Not that I discount overseas mission because we were a missionary for nine years and people need to go overseas and share the gospel. But if that's not possible, you can still be a missionary here to people that uh, need to hear the, hear the good news every day. Yeah. Wow, what an opportunity we have as a church. And just as we close down, you know, we all have our own Jerusalem and our own Judea. And let me just ask you, just as you're sitting here and you've listened to Mark and what we've been talking about and talking about the loving our city and serving our city and telling people about the good news of Christ, what is your Samaria? For many of you, um, it's right here in Spokane. For some of you, it might not even be here in Spokane and it might be in another culture somewhere around the world. But for many of us, it's here. And so as you leave today, think through and process through what is your Samaria? Where can you go in and minister to the most vulnerable in our society? For the people who are desperate and uh, are hopeless, but through organizations like World Relief, experience hope for the first time. What is your Samaria? And I believe that we have tremendous opportunity to experience the living God in our lives and as a church and to receive and experience the power of the Holy Spirit if we just yield ourselves and just say, God, where do you have me go? What do I see in the world that I just think to myself, somebody should do something about this? So let's pray. Mark, how can we pray for you? Well, you, <laughs> you can actually pray that uh, more churches see the opportunity more opportunity. We have too many people arriving weekly that don't have a church volunteer or a church sponsor. Yes, there's many that do and we connect with many evangelical churches in Spokane, but there's still too many refugees because once we connect with one family, we still got another family arriving three days later that needs another family. So we can pray that the church sees the opportunity to do mission work. But pray for our staff as well because they've got a lot on their plate. They're doing a lot to serve the refugees' needs. And so we need prayer for that, and we need support as well. And that if God's speaking to any hearts here, please visit our booth out in the foyer afterwards as well. Yeah. Well, let's pray. God, we just uh, thank you so much, Lord, for uh, Mark and all the other staff at World Relief, God. We pray that you just bless their efforts. And we pray that more churches would get involved and more people would get involved in what World Relief is trying to do. 
that uh, your uh, love and grace would be shown to many of these refugees through a wide variety of churches who see the need and want to minister uh, to these people, God. And just pray for Mark and his staff. Give them wisdom and strength and encouragement to keep fighting the good fight, Lord. And give us uh, uh, wisdom and open our hearts to God as a church and as people. How can we serve and love our city? How can we tell people? But how can we also go beyond Jesus? Give us a heart for Samaria, Lord, in our own lives. And we thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, can we thank Mark for the comment? Thank you so much. I just want to encourage you. Uh, if, if you feel like God's been speaking to you and you want to know more about World Relief, uh, Mark uh, and one of his assistants has a booth set up out in the lobby. Please go there and talk to them more about that. Um, if you are new here or maybe you want to find out how you can better be connected, we have a First Connect, uh, and you can uh, meet under this monitor over here, and we'd love to help you get connected and uh, it, so you can experience uh, our church and be a part of our family. But God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday at church.